Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. There's a saying that you are where you are today because of the choices that you made yesterday. But if you don't like the results that you're getting, I have good news for you. You have the ability to create the positive change that you want. All you need to do is tweak the system. In this episode, Brooks and I talk about how everything in life is a result of simple systems mechanics. We share how these simple systems are vital to working effectively and not just efficiently, and why they are the real key to achieving your goals. All you need to do to change your future is make the right adjustments to your systems, and in this episode, we'll help you identify the systems that need attention in your own life by sharing six characteristics of a good system, we'll show you how to develop a systems mindset and achieve the results that you're looking for, and give you some quick tips that you can use to start making those 1% improvements that will take you to your ideal future. You can find the links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 174. And now, on with the show. All right, today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, and I mean that sincerely, which is <laughs> systems. And with me to talk about systems is Mr. Brooks Duncan. How are you doing today, Brooks? I'm excellent. This is something we talk a lot about internally, so I'm uh, really happy to be able to talk about it with everyone else as well. <laughs> awesome. So this is kind of an intro to systems. Uh, we're going to talk about what is a system. We're going to explain why you should care about systems, share some characteristics of good systems, and then we are going to introduce you to the topic of systems thinking and give you some quick tips for systems improvements that you can make that will uh, help lead you to your ideal future. And at the very end, we've got some additional resources to help you develop your systems mindset. So we got a lot to cover. Let's dive right in. And let's start by talking about what is a system. Now, this definition that I put in the show notes here this is something that I got when I was putting together the personal systems webinar uh, that we've done at Asian Deficiency. So this is the dictionary definition of a system, and that is a set of connected things or parts forming a complex whole in particular. And they don't always have to be complex, which is kind of what we're focusing on here today is simple systems. Another definition is that they are a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done, an organized scheme or method. And this is important because everything in your life is a system. There's both open systems, which they adapt and they evolve. And then there's closed systems where they're not changing at all uh, anymore. And uh, I'll share some examples. And then Brooks, maybe you can chime in with some examples. Uh, a closed system, best definition that I can come up with is like a, a written book. Okay. So if you have a book that's sitting on your bookshelf, there was a process that was used to create that book, but it's not changing anymore. If you can take it off your bookshelf, you can read it. It is still a closed system. Now, if you start highlighting and taking notes, then it's not a closed system. Now it's an open system because the open system is moving. There are different parts that are creating different outputs on an ongoing basis. And just about everything in your life is an open system. Uh, you got any examples of open systems you want to highlight, Brooks? Yeah, it's like the difference between that uh, employee binder that or company binder that people get and throw in a drawer and never look at again, or something like a wiki, or in our case, SOPs, uh, standard operating procedures, where we're always updating, always looking at them. One thing that really 
it's funny, Asian efficiency is something that really opened my mind to this concept. An early, an early interview they did with um, Sam Carpenter, who we're going to be talking about later, there's this great interview that Aaron from Asian Efficiency did with that. And once I watched that, I realized, yeah, everything, you start looking around the world and, or looking around you and everything really is a system. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's three essential pieces to a system. We're going to be focusing mainly on the open systems here today because the open systems are the ones that are contributing to the results that you're getting. But if you make some simple tweaks, you can change those results for the better. Okay, so like I said, we're going to be focusing on open systems, but there's three parts to these systems that we need to understand before we can start making changes. All right, so there's an input, there's a process, and there's an output. An input is anything that you do to activate the system or give the system use. And then the process, those are the actual steps and functions that the system will perform. After you've put in the input and you've gone through the process, you get the output, which is the result that you get after doing all of the steps. So hopefully even right now, you can start to realize the results that you're getting are are the results of the inputs and the processes that you have in your life. And so if you want to change the output, all you've got to do is make a few simple tweaks. Yeah. So once you, once you realize this and start looking at it from those three perspectives, if you want to get the most out of it, any system, if you want to improve, basically what you do is you, you'll want to optimize the input. So you want to, you know, control, manage, you want to improve everything coming into your system. So that's going to help. And then you want to look at what's that right process to get the output that I'm looking for. And once you think of it in that system, you can really improve anything. Exactly. And this is where productivity, I think, can start to get a bad name. Uh, I follow Jason Freed and he kind of went on a Twitter rant not too long ago as we're recording this about how productivity is is a bad thing. Uh, Peter Drucker, I believe it was, that said, uh, it is nothing is so meaningless as to do efficiently that which shouldn't be done at all. <laughs> you know, it's productivity is not just about doing things faster. It's about doing the right things. And that's kind of what the, the perspective we want you to have as we're talking about this input process and output. Yeah, you can make something more efficient, but if it's not something you should be doing in the first place, then cut out that system all together. And then you've got a quote here, I think, that you added uh, from David Allen. Yeah, it's a quote about systems that I've, I've always liked, and uh, I believe it's from Getting Things Done, but it says, having a total and seamless system in place gives you tremendous power because it allows your mind to let go of lower level thinking and graduate to intuitive focusing, undistracted by matters that haven't been dealt with appropriately. So the idea is once you have this system set up and you trust that it's, it's working, that can free you up to focus on the more kind of higher level important things. Right. And, you know, I just did a presentation today uh, as we're (laughs) recording this on the importance of focus and getting a year's worth of work done in only 30 days. A lot of times it's just directing the focus in the right direction. It's focusing on the right systems and cutting out the wrong systems. So understanding these systems is important. Ignorance isn't bliss. You might be getting poor results right now from a system that you didn't even realize was broken. Yep. That happens all the time. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that happened. That happened to me just uh, just 
the other day, I, I set up this amazing system for our customer success team to make things a lot easier, uh, and it and it did. Um, but it at some point it broke, and I didn't realize that it broke. So it it actually uh, they were doing work to compensate for that system, which if I <laughs> had been a bit more on top of it, it would have been gone back to helping them again. So you definitely want to keep your eye on your systems. Yeah, and 99.9% .9 of the time, your systems are going to work just fine. 99.9% uh, .9 of the time, they're going to function properly. Uh, and just to give you an, a natural example, when you plant a seed in the ground, you don't need to program that seed so it knows to grow. It knows what to do. But you need to know what to do when things break because these bad results from unmanaged systems can appear to spring up out of nowhere. But there's always a cause. So go back to that input process output cycle. If something isn't going right, there's a good chance that your input or your process aren't aligned or you just haven't thought through the output that you really want uh, all the way through to its logical conclusion. You don't have a full picture of what that output is supposed to be. So fix the system. You Most of the time, fix the problem. Yeah, that's the thing with systems, right? It, it often goes back to that IPO. Once you start thinking of things from those three perspectives, it really lets you zero in on where a problem is and how to fix it. Exactly. But unmanaged systems will produce random bad results. So you do need to keep an eye on these systems. <laughs> now, there's six characteristics of a good system. And this is coming from an article that was published on the Asian Deficiency blog by Annie Mueller. So full credit to Annie for the original idea here behind this. But I love these six characteristics of a good system. So I want to share these with you. Uh, number one, a system should be designed to accomplish a specific and focused purpose. And another way to say this is that every system needs a why or why you should care that this system even exists and that you're paying attention to it. Yeah, we have, uh, we do our, um, I mentioned the SOPs earlier, and we're very big on SOPs, standard operating procedures here. But the very first thing it, it says in each of our SOPs is, what is this thing actually, actually for? And that's really important. Exactly, because those systems need to have a clearly defined purpose that's going to give you the standards for when and how this system should function. If you don't understand why you have this system, then you really don't understand what it's supposed to do and you can't evaluate whether it's working or it's broken. Uh, number two, a system should be as efficient as possible. All right now we do things in a certain way for no reason other than what we're used other than we're used to doing it that way and I think you've got an example here. Yeah well this is something that um, when I joined the Asian efficiency team this is something that Tan really because I was taking over a lot of the the systems that we do and, and that sort of thing. And this is one thing he really, really, really stressed a lot is, you know, just because we have our system set up a certain way, just because we do things uh, way X, Y, and Z, doesn't mean that's how you should keep doing it. And this is really hard when you join a new company or you're, you know, just start dating someone and it gets, starts getting serious and, it's really easy to slip into doing things the way they've always done it, but you want to take a step back and uh, try to evaluate things critically because this mass always, always builds up. 
Yeah, exactly. And now uh, I that's one of the things I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up the f- fact that you are the one who's updating a lot of the systems, uh, because a lot of times we don't even think about improving the way that we've done things because the pain of trying something new often keeps us from implementing changes to our systems. We just stick with what we know, what we know is, is going to work and get the results that we want, even if it's going to, uh, to do it less efficiently. You got another example here, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of the systems we do are, are kind of these, uh, in our, our automation software that we run and that runs basically runs all the back end of our business. And over the years, we've created all these automation rules and all these things that happen in the background with, with our online, uh, everything we do online at agent efficiency. And this new feature came at out, which is a brand new way of doing this stuff. But, uh, even me who is relatively new to the team, I was, always scared to to actually touch uh touch the existing things and start using the new one because you know there was all this all this momentum and all this existing stuff here so what we've started to do is and this is the next thing you say is, you know, to build a good system, question every component and only keep the necessary ones. So this is something I've started to do bit by bit is when when I am going in to work on something, I'm looking, okay, how can I improve this? What can I get rid of? And what can we implement in this new and better way of doing things? Uh, and that way it makes it effective, but a little less scary as well. Yeah, that's a really important point. Uh, Sam Carpenter in the book work, the system talks about getting above and slightly outside your current situation, getting a different perspective. And so your example, you're coming in as a new team member and you're seeing maybe this complicated campaign. Tan's always talking about how the simplest solution is invariably the best solution. So if you, uh, when you're when you're thinking about building a good system and questioning every component, only keeping the necessary ones, sometimes it takes that fresh perspective, a fresh set of eyes in order to really see where you can cut those things. But it's important because uh, whenever you whenever you do that and you make it simpler, you've eliminated additional failure points, and it's more likely that your system is going to be successful. Exactly. All right. And then number three, a system should contain everything that it needs to accomplish its purpose. So that means the tools, the information, the knowledge, the people, et cetera. And we try to keep that in mind with the standard operating procedures. Uh, When I was building the standard operating procedures for how to edit and publish the podcast, I was the only one who understood the audio editing process. I was the only one who had access to logic, but I explained every single detail, every single setting, why it should be right there with the goal that anybody could download logic and could edit a podcast episode, no matter how familiar they were with the audio editing process. Because when you're just trying to get something done, it is incredibly frustrating and unproductive to stop and go search for the necessary stuff that you need. And often that frustration and delay just leads to you putting off the task again. Yeah. And this is something, again, going back to me being a relatively new team member, but we do have other team members that are newer than I. And this is one thing that I found really helpful. And I know they do too, is a lot of our SOPs, our, our documentation is very step-by-step screenshots, everything. And so there's been times where I've needed to jump in and do something. And I had, (laughs) I had no idea how to do it. You know, I had never used this tool before, but because we put the effort into documenting everything, I was able to go in and do it. 
Awesome. Yeah. And and Nate's got a great comment here, which I'm going to address in the next one here. Number four, a system should be repeatable and teachable. I think that this is where a lot of this stuff is important because if you can't teach it, then you've created a bottleneck where you're the only person who can who can do this thing. You're an essential piece to this system. What you want is a system that is consistent and can repeat in much the same way every single time, regardless of, you know, we're talking about the standard operating procedures, for example, of the person that is going to be using it. So when you're trying to make a system repeatable and teachable, you have to make it simple, as, as simple as possible. And Nate's sharing from Paul Aker's Rules for Improving System, the improvements have to make the process, there's four different criteria here. Uh, Number one, safer, or number two, as safe and produce a higher quality result, or number three, as safe, same quality and makes the process simpler, or as safe, same quality, as simple and makes the process faster. Now that may sound like a lot in in audio (laughs) format, and this is coming from, I believe, the two-second lean book, which we're going to cover in the resources at the end of this. Um, But really, the general idea here is that there's got to be a reason for these changes that you're making to the system. And I think that most of the time, the changes that you're going to make to the system are so that it makes it more repeatable or more teachable. Yeah, I have an example of this. Um, this was before I joined Agent Efficiency, but you know, I, ha- I had a newsletter, uh, an online newsletter, and I wanted to get somebody help, somebody's help with it. I I basically wanted to write it and then get someone else to format it and blah blah blah, put it into the system, blah blah blah. And so I I sat down to start documenting how I do all this stuff, and the way I and I didn't realize it before, but the way I was doing it, all the different steps, which I was super fast at, it was you know no problem for me. But the the way that I did it and the just all the steps were just ridiculous once I actually started to uh, document it all out. So. Th- so doing that kind of forced me, didn't force me, but it gave me the opportunity to streamline it all, make it much, much easier and much simpler uh, to the point where, to be honest, I didn't really need to delegate it anymore. I did um, because that was what I set out to do, but I had made it so much easier for myself and for her uh, that going through that exercise was super valuable. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the the process of, of delegating something is something that I've struggled with, and it's something that we're going to cover in another episode at some point. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that you need to apply the systems thinking mindset to. Uh, and that kind of leads us into point number five, because when you're delegating something or automating something, when you're making tweaks to your system, You're doing so in order that, number five, a system should give you predictable results. You want to know what you're going to get out of this system, all right? And there's a couple specific points here in terms of giving you predictable results that I I wanna address. Uh, First, a system should enable you to predict the requirements of any task or goal accomplished by the system. So this is things like how long a task will take, how many resources you're gonna need, how often it should be done, and then since once you have all these things, since the system allows you to do a task in the same way every time, you can predict almost everything about the process. And then secondly, a system should provide you some predictability for the entire area that the system covers. Since the system is used the same way every time, you can start capturing data for the area, like the words that you've written or the number of reps that you've done, the calories that you've consumed, the fuel that you need, the phone calls that you've answered, et cetera. Anything that's part of a repeatable system 
can be tracked. And that's important because tracking and capturing that data allows you to analyze and find patterns within the data. That's often the key to getting above and slightly outside your situation is understanding what is really going on and the data can give you that perspective real real quickly. And having it having it tracked allows you to do things like if I change X, what will it do to Y? And uh, so you can do you can do that in Excel and you can do that in other systems as well. And it, you can really see, okay, what are the, if I make these changes, what, what uh, impact is that going to have? Is this going to make things better? Is it going to make things a little worse? And you can see what are the changes that actually will improve things. Yeah. And that gets into a question that Nate had brought up in the, uh, the Slack channel. Um, he had asked, uh, basically, I'm trying to have trouble finding the question right now, but uh, what system should you start with first? And that's going to get into number six. You know, a system should be reviewed and questioned regularly. You have to have this data in order to do that. Uh, and if it can't be measured, it can't be improved. So where should you look to make improvements? You should look to make improvements in the areas that are causing you the greatest pain or greatest friction. So like we mentioned earlier, systems are not usually closed or static. You have to make constant adjustments as your needs change. You can define what your biggest need is at any given moment. But I would say that you do want to apply the systems thinking mindset and understanding the input process and output in order to get the result that you want or solve the problem that you have. All right, so systems thinking is, uh, we touched on this. This is a way of taking the things around us, including ourselves, and turning them into diagrams, ideas, concepts that can be broken down, analyzed, and improved upon. So again, you have to be able to measure these, you have to evaluate these regularly, but when you do that, you can start to see these patterns and you can start to make improvements. Uh, when, you, when you develop this way of thinking, uh, it's very logical the results that you're getting. You're not making adjustments and hoping that it's going to work. You're knowing that these things are going to work. And this is a less common way of thinking that is embraced by highly productive people that allows them to focus on the things that are most important. But if you don't have any sort of system, if you don't have the systems thinking mindset, you have trouble identifying the things that are important uh, because you don't understand the value of all the different inputs. You don't understand all the mechanics of the systems that are working around you. And so what ends up happening is a whole bunch of stuff is screaming at you at the same time and everything appears to be urgent. Yeah. And this is one area where sometimes finding the the tool or not that it's all about tools, but sometimes finding a different way of doing things can really help and open up that systems thinking mindset. Like I, in the past, I never really thought of myself as a systems thinker until I started getting into doing mind maps and flow charts, like using a lucid chart type thing. And once I started thinking things out that way, I found that it just naturally led to me you know, putting this stuff all down into diagrams and, and sketching out concepts and stuff like that, which I never did before. And it, it totally changed the way that I, I deal with problems. So sometimes it's just finding what works for you. Yeah. And that sounds maybe like a waste of time to create all those diagrams <laughs> and those charts, but you'd be surprised at the clarity that comes from doing those sorts of things. You can very quickly, once you have that stuff, see where a lot of these bottlenecks are. And then if you apply the systems thinking mindset to fixing them, uh, you can create, you can make these small adjustments that are going to maybe uh, maybe produce a little bit more effort in the short term, but in the long term, they're going to make things vastly better. 
And that gets into this next section here, which is this whole idea of thinking like a geek. Now, a geek is somebody who's got a lot of expertise in and passion for a specific subject. That could be anything from computers to history to astronomy to cooking gadgets. And they understand a lot about the systems they're involved with. They're constantly looking for ways to improve them. The term geek, I I love this. This actually originated from the circus, and it was originally used to describe performers who performed amazing feats. So we've got an an image here, which we're going to include in the show notes, and uh, I'll stick this in the Slack channel too for the the dojo members who are listening live. Uh, This shows geeks and repetitive tasks, and they have a geek and a non-geek. Uh, and I'll try to describe this in an audio format for those of you who aren't pulling this up. But there's on the y-axis, the time spent, and on the x-axis, the task size. And what we see at the beginning is that the geek and the non-geek both have this task they have to do, and they do it manually at first. But then there's a point where the geek gets annoyed, and they spend quite a bit of effort to write a script to automate this task. And during that time, it looks like the non-geek is winning. They're making fun of the geek's complicated methods. But once the script kicks in, and this is an example of the systems tweaks that we're talking about, uh, once that kicks in, that quickly crosses the line of the effort that the non-geek is doing and doing this task over and over and over again. And in the long term, they're going to win. Uh, There it is. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that, Brooks. Um, and, and I love this. You don't have to be a scripter in order to do this. You don't need to be a coder. Uh, you can use a lot of this is just the mindset that you approach your problems with. So specifically, because I'm an Apple fanboy, there's a lot of programs that allow you even with a, a graphic user interface, something like keyboard maestro, that as long as you have the systems mindset, uh, systems thinking mindset, you can recognize these patterns, these things that you do over and over and over again. And there's lots of tools that you can use to make those things more efficient. And spending just a little bit of time on the front end, figuring out how to make it easier for this thing that you do over and over and over again, that's going to provide you more time in the long run. But you have to have the right mindset in order to recognize those opportunities that are literally right in front of you. Yeah, it doesn't have to be computer things too. It can be you know, it can be anything. It can be making coffee for yourself and your spouse in the morning. And well, here's a here's a, a very simple and silly example, but it kind of gives the idea is I always make uh, coffee for myself and my wife in the morning and I'd always put it in a travel mug because she she drives, but uh, she puts milk and I, I drink my coffee black. And so one thing I would do is I would always tighten the lid on her coffee mug and then I'd watch her struggle to take it off to put the milk in. So now I just started, I noticed that I thought, okay, well, how can I make things easier for her and, and make this whole thing more efficient? So now I just leave the coffee mug or the lid on top, kind of press it down. So it's still keeping it warm, but not screwed in. So it's just, that's just a silly example, but it gives you the idea of looking for those little improvements everywhere. Exactly. And, you know, if we wanted to go down the, the, the rabbit hole of family and parenting, like if, if you don't understand the systems thinking mindset, you, I guarantee you that things are harder than they need to be. But as soon as you develop this, this mindset of the results that we're getting are a direct result of the things that we're doing, and then how do we change the things that we're doing to improve the results that we're getting? You'll recognize all sorts of things where uh, where you could make these improvements. And honestly, from a from a parenting perspective, where you've got 
kids who are placing a demand on your time. It doesn't have to be kids, by the way. It could be an office environment where you've got bosses and managers who are asking for more than you can physically give them with the current systems. Like That's a great opportunity to look for ways to improve those systems. And that's what got me into productivity was recognizing that like I, there's no way I can do all of this stuff. I have to find a better way to do things. That's, that's really important. Just recognizing those, those systems that are there, you'll, you'll see those, like you mentioned, the stupid little things that don't even seem like a big deal. But if you do them every single day, like it just makes it easier and making it easier means that you have more time, more energy, more willpower at your disposal for the things that really matter. Yep, Definitely. All right, so the easiest way to manipulate your systems is to create these habits and rituals. Okay, so a lot of the negative results we talked about are the results of neglected systems. Best way to not neglect a system is to make it a habit. And so when I wrote this section of the outline, I was specifically thinking about all of the things that people tend to neglect that are important but not urgent. So you say, for example, you want to go to the gym uh, X number of times a week or you wanna make sure that you have more time to read, you wanna journal every night, you wanna start getting up earlier. I mean, fill in the blank. If you if you don't create a habit, then that's not going to, to stick. And habits alone aren't really enough. We have a, at Asian Deficiency this idea of, of rituals, which are more sticky. And there's other episodes that we talk about what goes into a ritual. We'll be talking actually more about this topic as we're approaching the new year. Uh, But there is a very real reason why lots of people don't stick with those New Year's resolutions, why you go to the gym in January and it's packed, but by February, 75% of the people uh, are gone. Now, we're going to cover the components of rituals in in other episodes, but we're going to give you some examples here in just a second of the uh, of the little things that you can that you can do to create the results that you're looking for. I do want to go back though and address another question that Nate had brought up, and I, be- I believe Alice has said that she had this the same same uh, same idea. Uh, thoughts on helping other people embrace systems thinking. Uh, the example Nate gave was people who are in jobs where they're highly protective of their job responsibilities. There's a very real fear of some people that they're going to teach themselves out of a job. I totally get that. You know, I, I, before I was working with Asian Efficiency, I was involved in the family business where we developed uh, assessment and skill building software for special education. A lot of what our software did was what the teachers did. So uh, that was a little bit complicated because uh, you have to get the teachers to buy into the software in order to to get the, the directors of the administration to go along with purchasing it. And a lot of them were threatened by this system, which was going to make things more efficient. And then the other approach that people had was, well, we've got this free thing that we're using, and we had to we had to explain to people that free is never really free. You maybe have this paper pencil assessment that you use, but think about all the time that you have to invest in order to administrate that. You got to sit down with the kid while they take it. You got to score it all. And then you've got to interpret the results and figure out what to do next. Whereas, you know, with a computer program that can do that all automatically, that's going to save you a lot of time. That's going to save you uh, a lot of money. Uh, so I, I totally get this this uh, this issue. And I would say that this is going to get back to something that Chris uh, Bailey had mentioned when he was on the productivity show. And that is the, the whole reason that people, uh, the whole reason for productivity is people. And so if you make something efficient, that's great, 
but if the people don't buy into it, then you know it's it's really loses a lot of its a lot of its meaning. And so the the rituals that you want to create, you want to establish. I would say the best way to do this is to solve problems. Okay, when I've when I've implemented uh, helped other people implement systems in their own lives, it's always been. You know, they. I recognize that they are dealing with this particular problem, and they have this particular pain point, and so helping them solve that—that's going to be a win for for everybody. But uh, rituals are the way to do that. The little things that you do over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, Nate's telling us that we should be plugging our rituals course. Uh, you can definitely check that out uh, in the store. I don't know if that's available for purchase. Uh, I know it's kind of open and closed enrollment. So depending on when you're, you're listening to this, uh, it may not be available. But there is actually a simple systems course that's in the dojo. So more information at the end of this episode if you want access to that. Yeah, at the end of the day, people generally care about what helps them and and what's in it for them so and uh you know alice asked a great question which is thoughts on helping others embrace systems thinking and that's very difficult too it's very one thing that doesn't work very well is walking around going ah i have this awesome and better way of doing things you should do it too Um, in my experience that doesn't work out that well Um, all you can do like like you said mike you're you're your point was spot on to me, which is help people solve their problems and also model model the behavior that you want to see in other people. So if if you're helpful and um, you know at least doing your your own thing in, in a in a way that looks attractive to them, they might be curious and might be interested in giving it a try too. But I find evangelizing productivity um, <laughs> can often not work as well as a lot of us would hope. Yeah, exactly. And the reason that solving problems works so well is it capitalizes on this concept that Tan and I talked about not too long ago, where people will look to uh, alleviate a pain more quickly than they will to increase pleasure. You know, we're usually motivated by one of those two things. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with both of them, uh, people will look to stop the pain. That That's going to be uh, a more pointed driver, I guess, of, of motivation, like that, that's going to, that's going to be higher motivation for people. And so a lot of people are dealing with these pains and these, these problems, uh, every single day. And if they don't have a systems thinking mindset, they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that they've got, you know, the Pericles and the lion, the, the thorn in their paw. And so if you can recognize that and be like, Hey, let me help you out with this sort of thing, then they're usually very appreciative of that. But again, like you said, it's got to be looking at solving a problem that they have. And you can't go to them and say, hey, you've got this problem. Let me solve it for you. Uh, you they have to be the ones who tell you about this pain that they're having. But when, the, but there are lots of opportunities for that to happen on an even daily basis. I think we both laughed at the same time because uh, Nate in the dojo chat room uh shared a quote from Perry Marshall. It says, show people their necks, ble- necks are bleeding and it's an easy sell. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, we've talked a lot about systems here. Let's get into some quick tips for these 1% improvements. Uh, when we say 1% improvements, this is getting into something that we're going to share in the additional resources. I know that uh, James Clear shares a lot about uh, 1% improvements, uh, but this is this is uh, going to leverage what is known as the compound effect, which again, we've talked about this a lot, but just briefly to recap this, uh, the compound effect 
is the key to getting significant results. And the story that I always like to use to illustrate this is a story about the guy who invented the game of chess. Story goes that uh, the guy who invented the game of chess went to the king of the country where he lived. And the king's like, this is amazing. What do you want for this awesome invention? And he says, I want one grain of rice doubled for every square in the chessboard. And so a chessboard is eight by eight, 64 total squares. That means one for the first, two for the second, four for the third, eight for the fourth, and so on. And the story goes that the king was initially a little bit offended that he hadn't asked for more. But after a week, he asked the treasurer if he's paid the guy. And he says, no, there's not enough in the royal treasury because that one grain of rice doubled for 64 squares on the chessboard is something like 9,000 trillion grains of rice. And so those 1% improvements, those add up real quickly. A 1% improvement every day is significantly more than a 365% improvement once a year. And so these are all things that you can do consistently every single day that are going to make 1% improvements to your personal systems, all right? And number one is to pay yourself first. And again, the, the way to do this is a morning routine or ritual. And then the other thing I put here is the whole concept of eating your frog. So uh, maybe Brooks, you wanna, wanna expound on, on either one of those? This is something that I've heard from a number of people in the Asian efficiency communities, and I identify this uh, as well with this as well, is this concept of developing a morning routine or morning ritual is the thing that has had the biggest payoff for them productivity-wise and has really expanded into other areas, helping with other areas as well. So it's creating this routine that you do every single morning so that uh, it allows you to kind of make progress on your goals right away versus trying to find the time to do it, which of course none of us ever have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was talking to somebody when we were doing some development for another product and I talked to a guy who literally told me that he buys everything that we come out with now because rituals changed his life. And this is the one thing that he did is he established his <laughs> morning routine. He paid himself first uh, and that just completely changed his, his life. Uh, some great resources in terms, some other resources uh, in terms of, of paying yourself first and developing a morning routine, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but the other important concept here, which will be familiar to most people who are familiar with Asian efficiency, uh, but that's this whole idea of eating your frog. Now, this comes from the book Eat Your Frog by Brian Tracy, but the uh, the productivity spin on it anyways. But the original quote comes from Mark Twain, who there's different versions of this, but basically said, if you eat a live frog first thing every morning, nothing worse will happen to you that day. So as this pertains to productivity, the idea here is that we often procrastinate on these important projects that we have. But if we just would bite the bullet and do the work at the beginning of the day, then no matter what else happens the rest of the day, at least we've done the thing that's most important. Yep. That, uh, in fact, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple days ago and he, we got on this subject and he asked me, Oh, you know, what's this eat your frog thing? Uh, and I explained it and he said, that's it. Just do do your more, your biggest and most important thing first. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it. But but you'd be surprised how effective that is. 
Yeah, it's really effective, especially if you stick with it. I mean, that's that's the key here is that these 1% improvements, if you make these all the time, then those add up. Uh, Nate's got another version that he pasted in the, the Dojo Slack channel of the compound effect. He says, you've got a choice. Receive a penny on the first day. Each day it doubles for the next 30 days. Or two, you can have $10,000 a day for the next 30 days. Which do you choose? Uh, option two is going to net you $300,000, you know, $10,000 a day times 30 days. Uh, option one is going to net you $10.7 million. <laughs> so uh, a different way to, to articulate the, the benefit of the, the compound effect. But the principle is the same. You got to make sure that you're doing the things that are important to you and doing them first. Uh, so that's number one. Pay yourself first. Number two, uh, read more books. I cannot tell you how how different my life is now that I have started reading a book every two weeks. And it doesn't even seem that like that big of a deal at the time, but what it does is it expands your mindset. The best way I've seen this described is in the book Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon, which I know I've mentioned on this podcast before. But he he talks about how when it comes to creativity, there's nothing new, all right? So when you create something, what you're doing is you're connecting dots in a way that they haven't been connected before. And that was a really freeing idea for me because I used to think of creativity as like this flash of inspiration. And all of a sudden, bam, you've got your completed work. But when I recognize that even creativity is a simple system, it's a natural process, all I've got to do is change my inputs and I can change the natural outputs. That was really freeing because whatever I was able to create, that was, that was the natural conclusion of the system that I was working. And so obviously what I started doing was I started increasing the number of books that I was, I was reading. I was getting more dots to connect. And a lot of people say, like, I, I know I should read more. This is one of the things that we hear all the time is like, I know I need to read more. Uh, the number one thing that you can do if you want to read more is turn off the TV. The average American, I think, watches like 30 hours of, of TV a week. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I've seen it before. Uh, and if it's not TV, then maybe it's social media and you're spending the evenings on your iPhone in, instead of... Uh, feeding your mind, but there is time in your day. And if you just spent even 30 minutes a day uh, reading, that would make a significant difference. Yeah. I, um, I integrated because re- I had this problem where I realized I used to be a massive reader and I realized I wasn't reading <laughs> pretty much at all anymore. Um, so I integrated reading every day as part of my morning uh, routine and ritual that I talked about earlier. And I even did that reading in kind of a nerdy and systematic way. But the other change, another change I made is I've always uh, had this weird thing where when I'm in the car, I would always listen to sports radio. I don't know why. And sports radio in Canada is not quite as crazy as it is in the US. Um, <laughs> but 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 one day I realized I, w- I was driving and I, I realized that I had just spent the last 20 minutes of my life listening to the, these two guys discuss whether this certain hockey player should be on the fourth line or the second line. <laughs> and I was like, this is just not right. So I kind of implemented a new rule for myself that whenever I'm in the car, if I'm driving, I'm putting on an audiobook. So now whenever, when it, now I uh, read a lot more, quote unquote, read a lot more audiobooks because I'm always listening to them in the car. And that has made a really big difference for me. And it's, you know, like the mind food thing we talked about in a different uh, podcasting episode. It's really uh, changed things for me. And like you said, that dot connecting uh, is huge. 
Yeah, that episode, by the way, is 170. I just looked it up. So uh, if you want recommendations for books that have made the biggest impact in, because uh, you were on that, that episode with me, Brooks, uh, specifically our top five books, the uh, most influential books and podcasts, uh, definitely check out that episode. Uh, but the sports radio thing, yeah, I had the same revelation. I'm in Wisconsin. I'm about a half an hour from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is home of the Green Bay Packers. And there is no more fanatical fan base anywhere <laughs> than Packer fans. Uh, they literally talk about the Packers all year long. And yeah, like they, they will they will just, just talk about this to, to death. Uh, even in the off season when absolutely nothing is going on, that's all they talk about on the on sports radio. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff, just understanding, again, these these systems, okay? So you're listening to sports radio, that's fine, but what's the output that you're getting from that? You feel a little bit more educated, I guess, about the local sports team? Like, is that really going to move you towards your ideal future? Well, most likely not. And so I think you and I both made the the same decision that this is a system that's not worth maintaining. How do we replace this with a better system? And that yep. gets back originally to Nate's question, like which system do you focus on? Well, identify the ones that are either wasting the resources that you have or the ones that are going to be able to solve the biggest pain point that you have. And those can be the same thing. I mean, a lot of times the biggest pain point could be the thing that is keeping you from your ideal future. It's not the thing that is crying out to you in the moment, ah, I'm urgent, fix me, okay? But if you keep doing the same things, you're going to keep getting the same results. Uh, you know, the, the old saying, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. All right. So number two, read more books. Number three, get more slash better sleep. Uh, now I've shared on the podcast before that I was actually diagnosed with epilepsy. So I am very militant about my sleep. Uh, I, I make sure that I both get enough sleep and then also I do everything that I can to make sure that I get good sleep because one of the things that can trigger a seizure is not getting enough sleep. And so there's a couple things here that I want to uh, point out. The number one thing that I that I got out of my whole productivity journey in this area is wake up earlier. Uh, and that can be painful advice for a lot of people who consider themselves night owls like I was. Actually, I, I forget what episode it was, but we had uh, Sean McCabe on, and he said that he did this experiment. He'd heard people say, you just need to wake up earlier to be more productive. And he's like, yeah, right. And he, he, he literally documented the output that he was able to produce when he did start getting up earlier. And he said that it wasn't even close, that he was definitely a, a night owl. But when he started comparing the, what he was, it was starting comparing the data, like we talked about, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Once he recognized the data, he's like, oh yeah, this is an, this is an easy decision to make. Um, the other thing here is this whole idea of the sleep cycle app. Uh, and you've got this highlighted. Maybe I'll let you talk about this. Do you use this? Oh no, I, I I actually highlighted it because I am not super familiar with oh, it. Okay. So I, I was I was looking it up. Uh, no, um, it drives my wife crazy, but I'm actually a very good sleeper. Uh, I go to bed early and I hit the pillow, and more often than not, I'm I'm out and ha and uh, sleep throughout the night. So no, I don't use these type of sleep tracking things, um, but uh, I know they're very helpful for people who do have sleep challenges. <laughs> Yeah, so Sleep Cycle, the app, what it does is it's got a microphone and it is going to, uh, you put it on your, your nightstand next to your bed 
and it tracks where you are in terms of your sleep cycle. So when you fall asleep, you're in a light, light sleep, and then gradually you're going to sleep down into deeper sleep. Eventually you'll get to that rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. And that's where a lot of the restorative stuff happens for your brain. And then if you actually track these things as you sleep, and there's other resources out there, Nate's sharing the, the aura ring, I think is how you pronounce this. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my guess. Fit, Fitbit's got this ability too. even apps for the Apple watch, uh, allow this. Um, but what you, what you'll see if you track your sleep is that you've got these, these, uh, the, these sleep cycles and generally they are an hour and a half from beginning to end. And so you need in order to function properly, uh, five sleep cycles. If you are, have accumulated sleep debt, you're going to need six sleep cycles, which is, uh, I believe that's nine hours. So five sleep cycles would be about seven and a half hours of, of sleep. And the sleep cycle is, is an app that will track these and then it'll have a smart alarm feature. So instead of going off at a specific time when you're in your deep sleep and you wake up and you feel groggy and you sometimes you just can't shake it the rest of your day, what it does is it, it's got a half hour window where it's going to choose the opportune time to wake you up. Because if you wake yourself up at a lighter moment of sleep, you're going to feel more rested. You're going to feel more energized. And that's going to set you up for success for your entire day. And Sleep Cycle is just a couple of bucks on the, the iOS app store. They maybe have an Android version too, although I'm not sure. And what I like about this is that it also integrates with the Philips Hue lights. So in addition to the sound going off at the ideal time, you can also have it gradually increase your hue lights so that your environment becomes both lighter, which is going to facilitate you transitioning from deep sleep to light sleep, and it's going to uh, give you the, the audio alarm, but it's going to do it at the point where it's best for you. It's not going to make you feel like you're, like you're, you're in that, <laughs> that uh, drunken stupor the, the, for your entire day. <laughs> Oh, this is cool. I'm going to have to get this for my son, I think. We're all in on the Hue lights right now, so I think uh, I think he can benefit from this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's other things that you can do to get uh, better sleep. Uh, number one thing, I think, would be to limit the amount of blue light that you expose yourself to. A lot of iOS devices and even Macs now have the the night shift, but it's not to the level of something like Flux. Flux is a great app. The website is justgetflux.com, I believe. Uh, and what it does is it gives all of your screens an orangish tint after the sun goes down. What this does is it makes your body think that it is getting late. The blue light on your screens tells your body that, nope, it's still still daytime. So don't start producing the, the, the melatonin in your body, which is gonna help you fall asleep. So if you're one of those people that has trouble falling asleep at night, uh, maybe you're looking at your phone for hours before you go to bed. Uh, if you put your phone away or use something like Flux to at least limit that, that's going to help a lot. Yep, Flux. And uh, if you're an Apple user, Night Shift is a godsend. And uh, I didn't realize for a long time that it was on the Mac now too. So uh, definitely turn on Night Shift on your devices if you have it, if you're an Apple person. Yeah, Night Shift is easy. Uh, I do think Flux does a better job, but that makes sense because they're devoted to this whole topic. Yeah. I mean, if you go to their website, they got tons of research behind, uh, behind yeah, everything that they do. So definitely. All right. Number four is eat healthier. And we're not going to give specific tips on this, but other than I would say that, uh, eating healthier is easier than you think. 
And the advice that I would give is make one additional healthy eating choice per day. All right, so you can define what that is. For me, it was packing a lunch instead of going out for lunch. So I go to the co-working space on days like today where we're going to record this episode. And if I'm not thinking about it the day before, you know, I get down here, I don't have a lunch, I get hungry, where am I going to go? But if I pack a lunch from home, what I'm going to pack is significantly healthier than what I would be, (laughs) what I would be eating in the local restaurant. Yeah, and for me, I generally eat at home, so so that's good. Uh, but for me, the the different choice that I made was um, on uh, the days that we record the podcast. I'm usually burning it from my co working space back home, and uh, I don't really have just because the way the time works, I don't have time to uh, make the lunch that I would normally make. So there's this uh, there's this chain of fresh fresh and uh, healthy. Uh, stuff, uh, food, uh, kind of between my co-working space and my house. So what I do is I do an online order to make sure to pick out, you know, the healthy stuff. And then as I'm heading home, I swing by there, grab the bag that they have waiting for me and go home to, to eat it so that otherwise I'm going to be tempted to, uh, you know, hit the drive through or something like that. So, uh, that's, that's the choice that I made. That's been working great. Yeah, it's a great example. Uh, Another thing or another reason that uh, frequently would not uh, pack my own lunch is that we wouldn't have food in the house, especially, (laughs) you know, me being working and my wife, she's at home homeschooling our five kids now. (laughs) Like going to the grocery store is one of those things that can very easily be forgotten. And I'd love to use something like Instacart, but it doesn't exist in in Nina, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, so, but there is a, a local grocery store that allows you to order online and then you just pull up and, and they load it in your car for you. That's basically on my way home from the co-working space. And so recognizing that this was a pain point that we wanted to solve, like that's that's been a big thing because now instead of spending the time to drive through and pick up burgers or something, <laughs> my wife can order ahead and I can just swing through and, and pick up the food at, at the, the grocery store. So again, you know, small things that allow us to accomplish the goal of eating healthier. Yep. Uh, next one, number five, exercise more is similar. Uh, again, not going to give you specific exercise advice, but the I'll just say that the movement is important. I think that's one of the best things that Apple did with the Apple Watch is that stupid little annoying reminder to, to stand up every hour. Because if, if you are working in an office job or you're working at a desk, it's very easy to just be sitting for a very long time and not even realize it. Um, and so exercise doesn't need to be lifting a bunch of weights. It doesn't need to be running a bunch of miles. It could literally just be going for a walk if you can't get to the gym. It's any sort of physical activity. If you if you do it repeatedly, that's going to uh, it's going to give you a lot of results. I forget the specific study where I saw this, but I saw something that said like if you are active during the day, your body actually burns a bunch of extra calories at night as well. So even just something simple like going for a walk can, if you do that every day, is going to help you get in shape. Yeah, it's all, and like you said, we're talking about the little 1% improvements here. Um, 
kind of funny and another of my silly little examples, but uh, a, w- a while ago, I was about to have a, a meeting with Tan uh, and I said, okay, well, just give me a minute. I just need to run upstairs and get some water. Uh, and he was giving me a hard time saying, oh, you know, why don't you have a big, a big water thing down my office is in the basement down in the office and then you don't have to do that. And yes, it would be more efficient for me to have a big bottle of water right here at my desk so I didn't have to get up to get get more water but actually I do it this way intentionally um, because that way I'm building in this going up and down the stairs throughout the day uh, to get get my water and that just kind of forces me to get up uh, get up and get away f- from being chained to my desk so that you can make these little decisions in your workspace or in your in your life to create the ability to have some of these systems and improvements. Yeah, that that's that's awesome. But again, you have to have the systems thinking mindset <laughs> in order to even yep. recognize that this is providing you that benefit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, number six is meditate. Uh, this is something that I've started doing this year and I put off for a long time. I was very skeptical of the benefits of this, but I absolutely love this. And what I love about it is that a lot of like the guided meditations that I use in an app like Headspace, for example, they focus on gratitude. And focusing on gratitude during these meditations, what it does is it instantly flips a switch from negative to positive for me. And that simple mindset shift makes everything that I am about to do much, much easier. And so this is definitely something that I would advocate for building into your morning routine. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. It does, a lot of th- times, I think people are scared of it. Um, but there's Headspace is a great example. Um, the what's it called? Take ten or something like that. That takes you through ten days of learning how to do it, uh, and it does it in such an easy and friendly way. So that is a great way to start. Whether you continue to use the app or not, it, after that is a different story. If you don't feel like paying for it. There's a lot of other things that you can do uh, without having to buy a subscription or anything, but that free 10 days to try it out is a, is a really great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. I actually just signed up for a Headspace subscription and they have a, I think it's a 30 day money back guarantee. So like if you, if you did the, the trial and you went through like the beginner packs that they have and then you pay for all of the additional stuff and you try it for 30 days and then it doesn't work for you, they will actually refund that. And I think that that just really highlights the effectiveness of this meditation practice. And what really makes it effective is the fact that you don't have to do it a certain way. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> yeah. I know that has started meditating, like they suck at it at first and that's completely fine. Like your, your brain and your mind is going to wander all over the place. But when it happens, it's not like you're going to beat yourself up because you haven't been doing it the right way and you're not getting the result. You just recognize that it happened. You put in your five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, and then you just keep doing the practice. And as you do it, it gets, it gets easier and easier to do. Yep, definitely. All right, number seven is clear to neutral. Uh, this is something that we have just been talking about in terms of uh, updating the the finishes fastlane product. This was a, a, a topic that's that's in there, but it's also something that we've covered on the blog quite a bit. Uh, but it's it's fresh in my mind, and the idea here is essentially that you want to, when you're done with something, get it ready for use the next time. So what that looks like on your computer would be you're done for the day, close all your applications and your your browser windows. So that when you come back, you don't open it up and you see all these things screaming at you and you're trying to decide what you're supposed to do. Another really uh, simple example is you prepare a meal 
do the dishes before you eat it so and put them back where they belong so that next time you need to prepare a meal, you have those things ready to go. Yeah, I actually didn't used to believe in this, um, at least as far as uh, the computer is concerned. I used to always feel like, oh, no, I'm going to leave everything exactly how I left it so that uh, when I flip open my laptop, I can just get going and uh, and everything's right there and ready. But I've changed my mind on that. I've become a clear to neutral con- convert because what happens is when you start up and you've got windows all over the place, you you just get, get distracted on what's there, which might not be what you should be focusing on. So by by having everything closed down and starting from fresh, even if you're going to be reopening the things that you had closed before, um, it kind of forces you to be intentional about what you're going to be doing and not get pulled to what you see there on the screen. So I've I've actually flipped flipped on this one. <laughs> yeah, this this is one of those things that doesn't sound like it would make that big a deal, but once you start doing it, it really does. Uh, same thing with number eight, which is saying no. Uh, the problem here is that I think a lot of people will automatically fill empty time on their calendar. Uh, and this is usually the result of not being intentional or prioritizing the things that are important but not urgent. And so when someone comes to you with an urgent request for your time, you look at your calendar and you say, yeah, yeah, I I got time to do that. Uh, And at least my experience, whenever I do that, what ends up happening is that I'm stressed out and overwhelmed because I've got to go do this thing, but I've also got to do all the other stuff that has cropped up in the last week or so that I have to get done that day that is usually work-related, you know, and now it's like I don't have enough time to do these things. But the systems approach to this is don't say yes to all of the things that people ask you to do. Really choose to say no about the things that aren't that important. Yeah, another another example of this, or at least a related example of this, is going back to when we were talking about how systems should be repeatable and teachable. And if you have that repeatable and teachable system, and this is something I'm, I struggle with and I'm trying to get way better at, is... When you get questions that you know are answered in that repeatable and teachable system, you know, sometimes it's easier for people to just ask somebody a question versus, um, you know, looking things up. Remember to push back on questions that you know are already answered somewhere else, because it's it's really, you know, it's, it's tempting to, you all, everybody wants to be helpful. Uh, I certainly do. Um, but you're not doing yourself or your system or even the people asking any favors if you're already asking questions that are already um, addressed in you know, your documentation and stuff like that. It's better to kind of point people to where they can find the answer versus always, um, always giving the answer that you don't really need to give. Um, so I'm trying to get better at that anyway. <laughs> Great point. Uh, Another point that I think is worth calling out here is that the calendar is sacred ground. And when it comes to determining when you're going to do the things that are actually important to you, one of the best ways to make sure that you follow through with that is to put those things on your calendar. So put your morning routine on your calendar. If you're going to go for a run every day, put go for a run on on your calendar. Uh, And then you've got a much better idea of how much time you actually have to devote to the things that people are going to ask you to do. All right, number nine, save money. Uh, And this sounds, again, just really simple, but it's really practical too. So one example which 
resonates with me because this is something that I did, uh, is that if you go to Starbucks or you get your hipster coffee made every day, like like I, I used to go to the, the fancy coffee shops and, and get a cup of coffee, that adds up real quick. And so if you cut out the expensive coffee, for example, and you make it from home, you can save a lot of money. And I'm sure that there's a lot of other examples. Maybe you can add some uh, bricks. But the the other thing that's worth calling out here is to do a budget. Same thing with the principle behind saying no and choosing what you're going to say yes to, putting those things first. That's essentially what a budget is. You're giving every dollar a job, and, and that way you're making sure that you're paying yourself first. You're setting aside money for the important things that you want to do, and then uh, you don't go spend frivolously on those things that that don't really matter. But if you don't do this, and you just pay for things as they come up, what you find most of the time is that if you if you wait to save, for example, until the end of the month when you've got money left over, you don't have any money left over. Yeah, and even even the the act of of making that budget and more more importantly using the budget, not just making it, but keeping with it, is you start subconsciously making better choices about spending because you know you just get in that mindset because you know you're kind of seeing what tracking what you spend and evaluating it against your budget. So so it's almost like it's almost like you don't need to make those decisions on what you're going to spend you just kind of automatically do it by the the act of of tracking it and using the budget so that's a great example definitely and that kind of leads into the last one here i mean a budget is essentially a plan for your money but you can use this concept to number 10 is plan ahead with just about anything the most successful people plan their their day the night before and that does a lot of different things. But number one, it reduces the amount of decisions that you have to make at the beginning of the day. We got a, a podcast where we talked about the average person makes 35,000 decisions every single day. And people grossly underestimate the amount of decisions that they do have to make. In the book, The Willpower Instinct, they talk about how the average person thinks they make like 20 different food decisions today, but it's actually more like 170. <laughs> <laughs> and every t- every decision you make, that's reduced willpower that you have for the things that are really important. So when you plan ahead, you can make sure that you're setting aside the time and space to do the things that are really important. Uh, we've got uh, one of the tools that, uh, that we use is called the New Year Calendar. And there's even an Asian efficiency version of this, which we've got the link in the show notes, but this is an entire year at a glance. And what's cool about the Asian efficiency one is that it breaks the, there's like color coding for the the 12 week year, um, 12 week year method. And so each quarter is a, a different, different color. You don't have to use that particular method, but I would, I would say that use a calendar and, and tell your time where to go. Think, be intentional about how you're going to spend your time and what you're going to accomplish. Yeah, I'm uh, staring at a New Year calendar right now, so I, I'm a big fan of those as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are some quick tips for 1% improvements, simple systems tweaks that you can make to improve your situation. Now, uh, real quickly here, we'll run through some additional resources to help you develop a systems mindset and think like a geek. Uh, a lot of these are things that uh, you and I added, Brooks. There are a couple of a uh, couple of recommendations here from the dojo. So, Two Second Lean by Paul Akers. That was from Nate Lowry, as well as the to- the Toyota Way by Jeff Liker. We mentioned this already, but Work the System by Sam Carpenter. This is the book 
from a business perspective anyways, on systems. He's actually got a personal version, which my wife is reading right now, called The Systems Mindset by Sam Carpenter. Uh, links to both of those in the, uh, the, the show notes. Um, so if you aren't a business owner, that one maybe is a little bit more relatable, but it's great information in both of them. I didn't even know about the systems mindset. I'm going to have to pick that up. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And like you mentioned, we do have an interview that Aaron did with Sam Carpenter. So we'll put that link in uh, the show notes as well. Uh, Another great book that I've read on this whole idea of systems is The Compound Effect. We talked about The Compound Effect today. There's a book written on The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Uh, We've mentioned The Rituals Course, uh, which is an Asian efficiency video course, which will help your habits actually stick. Uh, We've mentioned the dojo a couple of times, but uh, the dojo is a great resource. There's the Simple Systems video course, which is in there. Uh, But also, I would say the biggest benefit that the dojo could give you is being surrounded by other people who have a systems mindset, a bunch of other people who think like a geek. Uh, We've got The Art of Exceptional Living by Jim Rohn. This is something that I picked up from Gary Smith. Uh, there's a link to the, uh, to Amazon here. I, I believe this is the audible link. Uh, this is an audio product. So you can either purchase uh, a CD, which is the first version that I got. And then I realized that it's also available with audible. So I spent a, an audible credit <laughs> on it as well. <laughs> nice. Oh, CD. <laughs> I see the, <laughs> on, uh, on Amazon right now, I see the audio CD is $500. So I would go with the audible version. <laughs> there isn't a, there isn't a abridged version, which is, uh, significantly less. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> That's the one that I bought. <laughs> got it. <laughs> uh, we also mentioned James clear. He's got a talk where he uh, presents this idea of 1% better from the craft and commerce convention, I believe, uh, our conference. So there's a YouTube link that we'll put in the show notes. Uh, the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. So this is a, a very popular book on uh, morning routines, morning rituals. He's got a really interesting story. Are you, are you familiar with Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning? Yeah, that uh, actually the Miracle Morning is how I initially uh, came to make my um, my morning morning ritual. So Miracle Morning had a huge impact on me. Although, uh, to be honest, it was actually a blog post that Greg Hickman did about the Miracle Morning. So I had gotten most of the benefit before reading the book, but I figured, well, I might as well read the book anyway. So yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's a, it's a great framework. Very cool. Next one, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. This is probably the most sold personal development book in the world. I think the version that I just read said something like 25 million copies have been sold. And this is maybe a little bit, you need to understand what you're getting into with this. It was written quite a while ago. And so you have to understand the the context. I know that some people have a little bit of trouble relating to it, but the information I think is, is gold uh, in this particular book. Uh, the Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. This is not something that I have, uh, I have read. This is something that I have been recommended, but uh, basic idea here is that the there's a, a lot of wealthy people who you maybe don't know are wealthy, and the reason that they're wealthy is that they've developed the systems thinking uh, and applied it to their finances. Yeah, the uh, I've never read this book either, but um, uh, this the town that I come from, which is way up in northern BC. Uh, it's all these these people who drive around in old pickup trucks and wear 
you know, ripped old clothes that they've worn forever, but uh, so many of them have a ton of money and it's for that exact reason. <laughs> like you would never know that they're, that they're multimillionaires, but, uh, but they are. Yeah. And, and this really just illustrates the fact that you have to recognize these systems in order to get the results that you want, because on the surface, there's no difference between the people riding around in the beat up old pickup trucks and the person who's struggling to make ends meet. But if you understand what's going on behind the surface, if you get slightly, you know, if you get above and slightly outside your perspective, as Sam Carpenter talks about, like, that's where you can really, uh, really create that change that you want. Uh, next one here is The One Thing by Gary Keller. This is a phenomenal book. I did not realize this until recently, but Gary Keller is from Austin, I believe. And I thought it was weird because every time I would fly into Austin, they have that book people bookshop in the, the airport. Yep. They're always hyping The One Thing. And I finally realized <laughs> that oh. it wasn't just that they really liked the book because it's a couple years old now at this point, but it was because he's local. <laughs> Oh, I, I did not know that. There you go. I noticed that too, but I didn't know that. <laughs> or maybe it's not uh, Maybe it's not Gary Keller, but the other guy who helped out with it, uh, Jay Papazan, I believe. Um, he, I believe, is local to the area. Got it. Another great book is Essentialism by Greg McKeown. Uh, big takeaway from this book is that if you are pulled in a million different directions, you're not going to make much progress in any of those directions. So this is a great book about prioritizing and choosing the things that are essential. And then once you identify the things that are essential, you've identified the the systems that are going to produce the biggest results that you're looking for. And then the last one here is The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Uh, this is something that Tan had recommended. This is, uh, again, it looks like an older book that's sold a ton of copies, but I have not read this. Have you? Uh, I, I have read it. Uh, I love this book too. The one thing I will say is it's a big book. So I would recommend if you're an audible person to get the audiobook. It's It's one of those books where it's kind of to- told as a story. Um, and it's all about uh, process improvement and finding finding bottlenecks uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a great audiobook. Whether you are a systems expert or just starting to develop a systems mindset, one of the best things you can do is get around other people who can help you think like a geek. So if you want to connect with like-minded achievers who can help you by sharing the latest productivity tips and techniques while encouraging you and holding you accountable for reaching your goals, then the Dojo is the place for you. The Dojo is our online productivity community which also gets you access to an ever-growing private video training library, which includes a module on this very topic that shows you how to set up systems and choose the right tools to get your work done. There's new video modules added every month, and you also get access to a private forum with some great workflows and an invite to a private Slack team where you get direct access to myself, Brooks, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. And the best part is that you can get all of this for just a dollar for your first month by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. This is a special offer just for podcast listeners. So if you want to check out everything the dojo has to offer for an entire month for only $1, including the simple systems video module, you have to go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You'll get an email when your trial period is almost up. And if you decide to stay, it's just $29 a month after that. And you can cancel at any time. So if you want to join a community that can help you develop your system's mindset and achieve your goals, check out the dojo today by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. 
Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can find links to everything that we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 174. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday.